ti. Yeah! <laughs> When that robot voice pops in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to... E-L-C. Yeah! Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast without you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash DLCpod. They're bringing the show to you, and they get cool extra bonus stuff, including an entire bonus show called Paid DLC, which comes out on Wednesdays. We got extra bonus content above that this week, a cool conversation we had with Danish Syed from Respawn, and Dave Chen chimed in a bit. Uh, that's going to be hitting the feed of the patrons, plus ad-free episodes. You can be a patron by heading over to Patreon.com slash DLC pod. But DLC is a podcast all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy whose multiversal self has been dreaming of this moment. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Choo-choo. The multiverse version of me is just riding the E3 hype train in a loop, like under a Christmas tree or around a holiday display. Just like every, it's just like, what, 2015 E3's coming up, and I'm just blowing. It's like this time of year, but 2015, <laughs> and I'm just I like. I don't think you know how multiverses work. It's not time travel. No, 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 no. But there's a version of me that, that that where there is. Come on, Jeff. Don't don't assume that there's not a multiverse version of me that has figured out hasn't figured out time travel. My uh-huh. goodness, my friend. And I'm just blowing that horn, excited about new consoles, excited about seeing friends in person, All excited right. about a world where nothing bad will ever happen. You know, 2015. In one E3. version of the multiverse, it's still 2015. I like that idea. <laughs> I like that idea. Hey, we got a big show for you, ladies and gentlemen. Tons of news to get to. Uh, I think we're going to do uh, lots of segments. I'm going I'm to try to fit it all in. We're going to try to fit it all in. Why? Why, you may be asking? Because we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am so excited because once again, DLC stands for Divine Liquid Cleaver. Because we have the creator of Acts of the Blood God, as well as senior editor at IGN, Kat Bailey is back with us. Hey, Kat. I wish my name for once were Cat with a C so that I could also fit into the DLC. Alas, <laughs> it'll just have to be DLK, whatever that means. I think uh, I think Divine Liquid Cleaver is pretty good, no? Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, it's right. a plus one to the Axe of the Blood God. It's an RPG podcast, so I'm just going to make RPG jokes all one. day. Yeah, thank I you. Mean, I, I'm pretty proud of your police clap moment there, Jeff, where you're like, that was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah. Hey, guest, I'll... tell me that my intro was a good one. I'm clapping. <laughs> Please clap. I'm clapping. Uh, speaking of clapping, uh, before we even get into the show, Kat, we have to clap uh, a little for you. Uh, this week, you over at IGN uh, published uh, an article that uh, I think um, is a real achievement. I mean, uh, this 
growing discontent behind Nintendo's fun facade. Really, uh, a lot of detailed reporting talking about Nintendo of America and how the process, the the experience of working there might not live up to what people's expectation of Nintendo is. Um, and before we even get into the show, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the article, how it came to be, and what the reaction has been since it's been published. Yeah, uh, thanks, Jeff. The article itself came together relatively quickly. Um, you may recall that there was a complaint uh, filed at the National Labor Relations Board a couple of weeks ago that Axio first broke that news, and it spurred a, a series of threads on Twitter from mostly contractors, but some ex-former uh, employees uh, complaining about their treatment at Nintendo of America. And specifically, they were pretty up, unhappy about the fact that they didn't have really a route anymore to full-time employment. And so I started reaching out to folks and talking to them. Kotaku posted their own article. And in the span of about a week, I was able to talk to about a dozen people, uh, former and current employees. Some of them I was speaking to on background and just gathering lots of information about what was going on. And my ultimate goal, so I am the co-host of Nintendo Voice Chat, IGN's Nintendo podcast. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit of a Nintendo nerd. And specifically, I kind of have a fascination with Nintendo's history. Nintendo of America has a lot of history behind it. So I really wanted to paint a picture of what it's actually like internally. Because as you know, Nintendo is a very secretive company, right? So I kind of wanted to take a picture of like, okay, this is Nintendo of America right now. It just, it's undergone a bit of a transition in recent years because Reggie fils retired, um, Satoru Iwata tragically uh, died, and there's new leadership over at Nintendo. What's going on there? What is the mood? And the picture that I got was that Nintendo of America has become, is kind of just as secretive and a little heavy-handed as ever. Um, it's maybe better than a lot of places to work in many ways, but the fact that it's not hiring on, it's not expanding with the, the success of the Nintendo Switch that has been very conservative in that regard strikes me as very interesting. So I did yeah. my best to be paint as detailed a picture as possible of what it's actually like to be within Nintendo of America right now. And I think you did a, a fantastic job doing that. I mean, it's a very detailed article. And I came away from it feeling, uh, you know, a, a bit disillusioned, I suppose. I mean, I guess the reality of working at any large corporation in 2022 is pretty much the same anywhere you go. There's not going to be this, uh, you know, fantasy land where just because it's Nintendo, it, it's uh, magically positive all the time. But you know, there is some, uh, a critical eye being pointed toward, uh, the process of working there, how the company seems to be actively trying to subvert giving benefits to employees by using contractors, et cetera, et cetera. What, what did you come away after all this reporting as a self-avowed Nintendo fan? Do you feel like that has hurt your feelings toward the Nintendo of America? It made me come, come away with the feeling of, oh, okay, Nintendo of America is not that different from a lot of tech companies in its reliance on contractors. 
it did make me feel a little disillusioned because, uh, especially because it's very strict in a lot of ways, and it asks a lot of its employees, and it heavily downplay it, it discourages people from taking time off or taking sick days and that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, I, I don't like that particularly. Um, in other ways, uh, Nintendo of America, I, I suppose, I think I was just mostly surprised that Nintendo of America has been so reluctant to keep growing. And it's had a real impact on its full-time employees, on its contractors alike, because both of them are having to take on more and more work. Uh, one point that I made um, in the localization department is that uh, they estimate that the demand for translation between the mobile games and all the games coming in has like maybe doubled, but they haven't grown the actual localization team at all. So it just means people are taking on more and more work. And I have some ideas about why that might be the case. I can only speculate ultimately, but uh, it seems to me that Nintendo America is still feeling pretty burned by what happened in the Wii U era. So that to me is also really noteworthy. Interesting. So they don't want to to uh, overcompensate just because the Switch is doing well, and then find themselves mm-hmm. uh, over leveraged as far as uh, having too many employees. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that their current uh, president uh, Furukawa uh, in over in Japan, um, Iwata was more of a you know starry eyed dreamer, and like the. The image that he put in public seems to be the one that he had in private as well. And Furukawa, at his heart, was an accountant. Um, And he seems to be much more of a nuts and bolts numbers guy. And it's kind of reflected in how Nintendo has been doing things like focusing on making movies with their IPs, opening up amusement parks, and that kind of thing, and focusing on those aspects of it. And this is just speculation on my part, but it strikes me that maybe also he's clamping down a little bit um, all over the place in terms of actually bringing out more full-time employees. But Mm. that's, like I said, just speculation. Well, it's a fascinating article. And uh, if like me, uh, you're out there listening and and are interested in the business side of uh, video games and, and uh, interested in Nintendo, the inner workings of Nintendo, highly recommend checking out the article. Again, it's called Inside the Growing Discontent behind Nintendo's fun facade. It's over at IGN. Great video accompanying the article as well. So uh, urge listeners to check that out. It's it's good stuff. All right. Let's dive into the show proper and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you send comments or questions, your own reviews, if you'd like those right on the show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We also have two great communities, one on Discord at 5x5DLC on Discord and on the subreddit. We got the 5x5DLC.reddit.com subreddit. Great communities in both of those locations with cool folks hanging out, talking games and all sorts of stuff. I urge you to take part. But Kat, you are our guest to get first pick of stories. Other than your own great reporting, (laughs) what would you consider to be your story of the week? I think that the most interesting story this past week 
is the Embracer Group slowly but surely growing out. Like we like to talk about Sony and Xbox making all of these acquisitions, but the Embracer Group has just been hoovering up all of these different IPs. They just went and bought basically Square Enix's entire Western division. And that includes IPs like Deus Ex and Thief and especially Tomb Raider. So many notable games. And as we all know, especially in this day and age, having familiar names and familiar franchises is really worth its weight in gold. And the Embracer group at this point, they're huge. It's really remarkable how big they are. So to me, it's interesting to, on the one hand, look at the Embracer group and go, okay, this publisher that people, not a lot of people really know much about them is becoming kind of this power in gaming but also what it means for Square Enix. Yes, so much to dig into here. This is one of those uh, you know, DLC TM <laughs> experiences where big news drops right after our episode drops uh, last week. But th- this is big news. And of course, over the last year plus, as Kat has mentioned, th- there have been so many big time acquisitions of studios and publishers gobbling up these studios. We talk about it when... Microsoft does it and Sony does it and it f- feels big and, and newsworthy. And I think it's because it's the Embracer group and you're just like, well, that's not a major platform holder. That doesn't, that's not a name that, that, you know, conjures something in my head, but you are so right, Kat, that it, it's going to start conjuring stuff because Embracer group really is becoming a major player here. And I wonder, you know, reading your article about Nintendo and that sort of, division between the you know eastern uh japan-based section of nintendo and nintendo of america i wonder if there are echoes of that at play here with square enix sort of ridding itself of these western-based uh um, developers that they have let's be frank been critical of in the last few years every time uh, for example, Guardians of the Galaxy comes out or the last few Tomb Raiders, even though they've sold millions of copies, these games, they've had these public statements of, oh, they've come in, you know, far under our expectations of what we expect, you know, all these sales projections, et cetera. Do you think there is an element of that from Square Enix's perspective of this, you know, let's just focus on the uh, our own domestic side and, and not have to deal with the, this American side? Oh, 100%. I think Square Enix has never really known what to do with all of these properties. And they've consistently had a tough time marketing them properly. Uh, They've always seemed kind of ill at ease with these particular studios and these particular IPs. And I, I guess the reports were that Square Enix really wanted to invest in Bitcoin and NFTs. And so that's why they were in a hurry to offload these this these properties for a song, relatively speaking, only three hundred million dollars ultimately to the Embracer Group. So the Embracer Group got a a bargain out of it. And Nintendo, I mean, <laughs> the reports are that Square Enix has been trying to offload these for a while now. Interesting, right? It's so interesting. Um, I, you know, these are top tier developers: IDOS Montreal, Crystal Dynamics. Square Enix Montreal, uh, you know, the games that have come out from these studios are games I've very much enjoyed. I think a lot of our listeners have, you know, I w- Christian and I were 
trumpeting how great Guardians of the Galaxy was, maybe did mm -hmm. not live up to sales expectations, didn't set the world on fire that way. But I think uh, astounding achievement as far as making you feel like you're one of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the Tomb Raider games have sold, we, we heard this week, uh, what, 80 million copies, um, which is crazy. Uh, and then we've got, you know, Hitman Go, Laura Croft Go from Square Enix Montreal, the Deus Ex franchise. 300 million, Christian, as we talked about a little bit on paid DLC this last week, it's an astronomical amount for most humans, but in the, in the, in the world of bees in front of aliens on these acquisitions, uh, I think Kat's right. This is a, this is a song for this kind of uh, known IP. These are major IP, right? Yeah, having not seen the actual you know, nitty-gritty of the detail, my questions are kind of, because as you both mentioned, they not only acquired these IP, which is huge and likely very valuable, but they also acquired the studios. So with that $300 million cost comes the cost of running these studios. And I'm curious what that kind of black and white contract terms say of how long folks are kind of expected to be there, how long management is, is maybe contractually obligated to stay along, how quickly um, they start laying folks off if they do, because carrying these large studios would quickly become more expensive than the acquisition. I think the reported costs of Avengers was, what, $200 million or something like that. Um, games are very expensive to make, especially these big AAA games. And if the perception is for um, the Japanese side of Square that they were not, you know, making enough revenue, uh, being profitable enough, kind of getting rid of it and being able to focus on other things and, and also not having this payroll and all the other stuff associated with these studios, the deal kind of maybe makes sense. But I am very curious, you know, how quickly these IPs will be exploited and and put back into the market and and um in what form. You know, is is Tomb Raider going to be continue to be this single player AAA game or are there plans for that IP to be something else? It's like right now it, it, I feel like there's a lot of unknown. Um but these studios certainly have a track record of making excellent games and um i feel for them for you know the uneasy situation folks are likely in there and i hope they get to make cool things and i hope um you know embracer group isn't the death star in terms of just like sucking up all these galaxies and systems and getting them under their iron fist because we haven't seen i think part of the reason uh, we don't think of it, I don't think of it in the same ways like when Nintendo or Sony acquires something, is because when one of their games come out, you don't have that MCU splash screen that's like, from the people that own all these studios, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Well, they it's own just, 119 studios. I know it. Uh, I know over it, 850 you, franchises. But uh, you don't know it when the game comes out. Well, is the I don't know if that necessarily means that they're the Death Star. I think I, no, I think no, they no, bought these it is. studios I'm to not. make new games, right? That, that's that's the only way they recoup on their invest, investment is they put out stuff. Uh, and we we've already heard that uh, there is a new Laura Croft game uh, supposedly being made under Unreal Engine Five. Uh, so Crystal Dynamics evidently working on that. Obviously, that may change now that Embracer can call the shots. Maybe that does change. 
but there supposedly is a new Tomb Raider already under development. Um, and <laughs> we also have another piece of data that uh, just last year, Embracer bought a mobile game company called Easy Brain for double the price that they got these three studios. So, uh, I mean, they're, they're dropping cash, no problem. And I've never heard of Easy Brain. Not, you know, not huge in the mobile gaming space. So maybe I just am not unaware of this very big uh, publisher. But double that, the six hundred million, you know, for, instead of three, for a mobile developer. I, I feels like they're making moves to become a major player here. Uh, but Kat, are you are you encouraged by this? Do you think that this is a good thing for these studios, or is it too too soon to tell? I'm of two minds. On the one hand, I do like the idea of IDOS Montreal and Crystal Dynamics. Maybe being under a different ownership group that has a better idea of how to actually use them and is willing to invest in their various projects and everything. On the other hand, I don't love consolidation and mm. seeing um, you know, one umbrella company, uh, this holding company buying everything under one giant group. It reminds me of a uh, media consolidation here in North America. And yeah. If anything, I would prefer more studios be independent than I would like to see them under one giant umbrella. So I'm a little conflicted, if, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I think I, I agree with, with that take. I mean, it, clearly Square Enix needed an influx of cash uh, and they mm-hmm. got that. So hopefully that helps them out. And hopefully we see these uh, these studios flourish with a little more uh, overhead cap from a big uh, <laughs> conglomerate as well. I just want great games, you know. I just want these. I just want these employees to be able to create great games. Interestingly, though, a press release from Square Enix confirmed that they have retained the rights to the Just Cause franchise, the Life is Strange franchise, and the Outriders franchise. Cat, do you see see that as, hey, we're going to sell those off later, or some other motivation to retain those particular IP? Interesting choices, huh? In yeah. terms of uh, rights to retain. Uh, the Outriders franchise has been mm, gone off to a bit of a rough start. Uh, last I saw, there was a story about how they hadn't turned a profit uh, so far. Or they, at least they didn't turn a profit last year, I believe was the story. And then uh, Life is Strange is popular, but it's always been a little bit of a cult, maybe indie darling, and that kind of thing. Um, out of those three, I think the one that has the biggest potential to actually pop off and do incredibly well is Just Cause. I have no idea what Square's motivations might be with these particular franchises. I would think that something like Tomb Raider would have greater potential than all of them. But Square, as always, moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> Christian, you want to speculate as to what the future is for those three? Do you think we'll... See Square continuing to publish games in those franchises. I know Outriders has a big uh, DLC pack coming pretty soon, some new content. But um, like Kat said, it's an it's an odd group to be like, "Hey, press release, we're keeping these three. <laughs> you can have your Lara Croft, or we're gonna keep our what's the lead guy from Just here. Cause? I don't know. 
That guy, yeah. the dude with the wingsuit. <laughs> I was very high on just on just on Outriders at a preview event in the before times, and it's a game I liked. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a franchise yet because <laughs> there's there's the the one. Oh, clearly, it's meant to to build and, and be one. Um, again, I always kind of read these press releases to some extent as are we keeping them or are they being kept by us? <laughs> it's mm. kind of like, does, did they not want this? And this is how you say it. It's like, we're trading these players, but we're keeping this guy. And you're like, who's that? That person was on your team before. Okay. It's like, you know, did square fight for these franchises because they wanted them or did embracer wasn't willing to pay enough to take them or, something else because of the contractual deal with people can fly in terms of outriders. I don't, I don't know. It's all just speculation. I hope that life is strange continues to be excellent. Um, and I hope that outriders grows into a franchise that is beloved and just cause finds its footing again. I think was it just cause four um, wasn't the series best in, in my opinion. I think it kind of needs to find what that game is going to be again. But yeah, between the marquee franchises, if you're looking at IPs, those aren't the three that you'd be like, I'm going to die on that hill, <laughs> you know, but right. I, I don't know the reason for, for why they were left behind, so to speak. Well, it's going to be interesting to see as this goes forward. We, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. It does feel like end of 2021, 2022 is the era of, of this consolidation of these of these publishers getting gobbled up and it continues there's definitely a trend here so one we will keep our eye on here at dlc christian spicer what is your story of the week well jeff it's one that we will keep our eye on right after we finish recording a show i think is how it works we keep we record a show (laughs) we release news then we (laughs) keep our eye on it um for me the biggest story of the week is comes in two parts and one part has already happened And the next part is rumored to happen uh, later this year or early next year. And it was kind of the stealth drop of uh, Fortnite coming to Xbox, uh, xCloud for free. So some background on it. xCloud is the cloud service streaming service part of Xbox Game Pass. Um, It's been described as in a beta. It's also described as extra. You get it with Game Pass Ultimate. There's not a way just to subscribe to just xCloud. It's not a thing that exists by itself like Stadia or something like that. Um, But included with Game Pass, you get access to cloud streaming games. Phil Spencer has said that streaming isn't the ideal way to play the games. Having actual hardware is always going to be better right now, but they want to have this option. So you can play your games on mobile. They have touch-enabled controls for a whole bunch of games, and they continue to update that. Um, But it always required a Game Pass subscription. Fortnite, we know, got banished from uh, Google Play and the Apple App Store because of the dispute with Epic Games and those Google and Apple monetization practices and having stores, uh, outside stores on those devices and how they can recoup revenue. And then for a while, Fortnite was off phones. Then GeForce Now announced a limited beta where you could play it streaming via GeForce Now, and folks are trying to get in on that. And then Xbox just comes out and says, hey, we got Fortnite. You can play it for free at xbox.com slash play. You don't need a Game Pass subscription. 
All you need is a Microsoft account. So you have to, if you don't have one, you need to create one and then you're good to go. It has touchscreen controls if you want to play just on your phone or you can hook up a controller like via Backbone, but it brought Fortnite back to mobile devices, which is huge. But I think even bigger is Xbox expanding their cloud gaming service apart and to some extent separate from a Game Pass subscription and including free-to-play games um, as part of that. They had for a while now had free-to-play games on Xbox, no, no longer require games with gold or you know, a subscription to play free-to-play games online on Xbox. And this seems like a continuation of that. And then the second part of the story that isn't official yet, but is this uh, Xbox you know, hockey puck um, streaming service device that is going to be just a um, a streaming puck plug-in fire stick, whatever you want to call it, Apple TV, that will bring Xbox games to, and also on TVs, the way like whatever Samsung or LG, they have, you know, Netflix loaded onto the TV. That expansion of this Xbox cloud ecosystem, along with the comment that they are continuing to grow this service and look to have all of your games available in the cloud, which is a lofty goal. You know, I imagine licensing of any game and how you get it in the cloud, this, that, and the other probably isn't going to be every game. But this expansion, uh, Jeff and Kat, of Xbox continuing to want to be the service you play wherever you play is huge. And this first, you know, shot across the bow of Fortnite is is massive. Have you, have you tried massive. it, Christian? Have you, have you put it on mobile and tried this way of, of playing Fortnite yet? I have. I've played on my phone uh, with my backbone. I've played on my Steam Deck. I have yet to get a victory royale, but I got several second place finishes. Um, well, that is the I, measure I, of how good the service is, is uh, how often you win. Well, to some extent it is because of latency and how you're competing against folks assumingly playing on a Series X or whatever, right? It doesn't siphon you, I don't think, to a a mobile bucket. Um, And I tweeted out after my first play session where I was like, I've been playing some, parentheses, a lot of Fortnite on mobile and at home on Wi-Fi. But if you had told me that it was native on device on my phone, I would have believed you. Like, absolutely. I know the Xbox team has put a lot of work into the iOS X cloud um, engineering. And it was seamless, absolutely seamless, easy to get in, just push play and you're off and running. I, I was blown away. I don't know, Kat, if you've, if you've toyed with this at all or, or not, but uh, I was blown away by it. Yeah, I haven't uh, toyed around with it, but I am just as interested as you are in what, Xbox is trying to accomplish with its cloud gaming services and with Game Pass and everything else. Because I think Xbox has a very clear vision of what they think the future is going to be. And I actually kind of agree with them that the their I think their future probably is accurate. The thing that I find so interesting about Fortnite are the number of players who are teenagers who don't really want to play on a console or a PC. They want to play on their mobile devices. So they were really mad about it being taken off uh, iOS uh, back in the day. And I think that if you can stream it onto any platform that you want, that is a really compelling uh, kind of sales pitch from Xbox. I mean, we're not that far away 
from TVs just having an Xbox app that allow yeah. you to play whatever the games you want. You just sync your TV to your controller to it. Personally, I wouldn't is- want to do it just because of the input delay and everything and the reliance on a good internet connection. But there are plenty of people who flat out don't care. So I think that Xbox, they've been patiently building brick by brick, getting all of this stuff together, and it is really paying dividends at this point. Yeah, Yeah, the rumor is this year or early next year for that, you know, it's on your TV. And I think to the latency point, I agree with you. But I think what's smart about how Xbox has been positioning it is, uh, and also, it's not an only it's you know we have these we have a series mm. s we have a series x we have the xbox one which you can still play yeah. games on or use that as a streaming device it, it's, it's not additive stadia. but you're right it's not stadia it's not the yeah. only way that you can play these games and bringing it i think cat is smart what you said too to mobile um we got i don't have them in front of me um but call of duty mobile numbers here this past week and it's somewhere around lifetime you know, play of uh, console and PC players on that mobile. And if Xbox is able to now capture that user base just through a login kind of thing is uh, is massive for them, I think. Yeah, I, uh, listeners to the show know that I moved to Denver this year, this last year, and uh, moved into a new house. And we bought the house from uh, the original owner. And we just this week had a an event where we could, uh, you know, turn in, uh, they had a, a electronic recycling. So I, I went through the house and yanked out all of the old electronics in the house that were no longer useful, but that just the old owner had left here. And it struck me how much infrastructure was paid for by the old owner and put into this house that is just completely unnecessary now. Like, <laughs> direct tv boxes and dvd players and just all this stuff where i'm like i replace all of that with this tiny little roku hockey puck or this tiny little apple tv hockey puck and there's all these boxes and you know coaxial cables and and satellites and all this garbage that i just had to give to the electronics recycling and you know haul out to the curb so they would pick it up and it I bring that up now because I do feel like, as Kat was mentioning and as Christian has said many, many times in the show, that does feel like the future we're heading to, where all of the effort to have a box in your house that plays video games, it does feel like we're in the dying days of that. And just as I used to have all these DVDs on my shelf and all these physical media versions of films and TV shows that I had to figure out ways to plug into my televisions and displays. Now it's all just literally an app on the TV that's already there. And so why not with video games? Yes, there'll be some input lag, but I think I think that's all negligible and will be figured out and won't, like Kat said, won't matter to most anyway. So it does feel like it's just a matter of time before we're all just hauling our old consoles out to the electronics recycling people, you know? Old yeller. What's funny yes, is that yes. <laughs> I uh, I keep my Xbox One around because it has a Blu-ray player in it so that I can watch actual Blu-rays. Yeah. And I've I've been getting physical media in my house. I, I have this sitting here. Good up. You can't see it. Scott oh. Pilgrim. <laughs> nice. I love it. Suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Yeah, no. Um, there's a thriving little business from Limited Run Games uh, making physical media and everything. There's a certain group of people who are like, no, I, I actually want tangible goods here. I don't want yeah. everything to exist on the cloud. I don't want to have to be told. I, I don't want it to be kind of ephemeral and have it be able to disappear at the whim of a, a rights holder. I don't want to have to be able to license the stuff that I buy. I don't want to be just buying licenses. Right. Um, but also, I understand that that's a niche concern. And so. Um, yeah. yeah. At what point does convenience just trump all of that stuff? You know, oh, absolutely. And for yeah. most people, they don't care. Come on. Yeah. Or to some extent, the like Fortnite, I think, is a great example of the other side of it, where you could never own a physical version of the game because it always requires an online connection anyway. There's no, you know, you, you can't, the Fortnite disc doesn't do anything uh, if they decided to turn off the servers or quit paying those license fees or whatever. And so I think that's where you see more and more games going, where even I think it was Halo Infinite, they sold a disc. I don't think the disc did anything. It was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, connect to the internet. It's just like, what is this for? It just spins you know? and hums in your, you know. I think it was, comfort. yeah, steel boxes, steel cases. They're cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I like them. Yeah, I need they're my cardboard pretty. and my my metal. Well, I was looking around here. I was going to hold up something as well. Uh, somewhere around here, I finally, Christian, I finally bought or didn't buy. Actually, I got it uh, because they're sponsoring my other podcast. Um, a backbone. Hey, got a backbone. Yeah. And so I'm right, very excited to try it. Keep talking. Yeah. No, are we holding up? And is it show and tell time on DLC pod <laughs> on the audio podcast? <laughs> well, there's video too. So this is, I have this guy that I've oh, had forever. It's sealed, I mean, that's a physical dude, that's amazing. thing. Yeah. What, what do you mean, Jeff? Why does that not count? It doesn't is relate it to anything we're talking about right now. Sure it does. Look at, I have my Celeste collector's edition uh-huh. limited run game. Come on. Come no, on. I like Sean. What do we Sean tells fun? Yeah. All right. Well, oh, oh yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Look at this. It's a dang. It's Let's a, not even uh, say what it is. No, don't even say. Off. It's a <laughs> copy of Rockman 4 from Japan. So hey, we have cool. VODs on the Patreon, Jeff. That's what we got to do every every week is yeah. just a show and tell the segment. Just watch it on the Twitch channel. <laughs> there you go. The, the visual <laughs> element uh part of the show where we entice you to <laughs> Look at what we're holding up. We just we just nod Whoa. and smile for five minutes. Wow, Whoa, Jeff, you ha- you have one of those. I've never seen one of those oh before. Oh my god, Jeff. Wow. so rare! It's what incredible. an incredible find. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, my story of the week. Speaking of uh, of mobile games and how uh, Call of Duty mobile did better than you know as, as well as any console release. We got a new announcement of a new mobile game. And I think this one's pretty notable for a number of reasons. Uh, Blizzard just this week revealed a new Warcraft game made specifically for mobile. This obviously um, right around the time that Diablo Immortal, the mobile version of Diablo coming out. Clearly, Blizzard's uh, intent is to capture some of that mobile market with their own IP. And uh, Warcraft Arclight Rumble has been announced, which looks a bit like a tower defense game set in the in the Warcraft universe. But evidently, based on their PR or their uh, marketing uh, blurbs here, it's a, a tower offense game, which evidently very different. Uh, but big single player experience. There are 70 missions for single player as well as uh, cooperative play modes uh, and competitive 
Um, you know, I'm a sucker for the uh, the Warcraft IP. I loved Heroes of the Storm, and this looks very much along those lines. I love the art style here. It's it's almost uh, almost looks like claymation in in a way. It's very cartoony, but in a different way than Warcraft is cartoony. Cat, uh, did you see this? And uh, what do you make of Warcraft ArcLight Rumble? Oh, is it okay if I'm like kind of negative on this? No, please uh, be negative if it that's looks how you like feel. Clash sure. Plans. And yeah. that's because it's been in development for about as long as Clash of Clans has been out. It was a pet project within Blizzard. And it, uh, you know, kind of speaks to how these games will be in incubation for years and years and years. And when they finally come out, you're like, whoa, this feels a little dated, I have to say. Uh, yeah, Blizzard wants to carve out a space in the mobile market. I wish them lots of luck. Because Nintendo tried to do the same thing, and outside of Fire Emblem Heroes and Pokemon Go, admittedly two notable successes, uh, it's been very hit and miss for them. Mm. And maybe Warcraft Arc Arclight Rumble is that what it's named? Um, yes, will end Rolls up being a, a success, but I'm kind of trending toward negative on this one. <laughs> No, I think that's a I think that's a very valid take, uh, Christian. You you noted how great the uh, Call of Duty mobile game has done, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of casualties along this road as well. And I wonder if what we were just talking about with making your know, phone be able to play Fortnite, indistinguishable from other Fortnite on consoles and PC, means that these kind of dedicated uh, big IP. Uh, mobile games are moot. What do you think of that? Hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I, it kind of depends, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree with Kat. I think it depends, you know, like that streaming quality. Uh, I think Fortnite was already optimized for mobile in a really smart way that has been brought over into this uh, xCloud version with touch controls and auto fire and fairly elegant for a shooter touch controls other games have certainly done it as well but like you couldn't take i think there's a reason why um uh what is it wild rift is it the mobile version of the moba and you're gonna see this as a mobile because ver- uh, I, I i do think for some games you can't have dota full dota on your phone it, it's difficult even if you could let's assume stream it and all that stuff works but that would be a little overly complicated. So I think you will continue to see mobile focused versions of games. But I also think that you will then likely continue to see PC versions of those mobile games (laughs) because why not? Right? Like you make the mobile specific version of it because you think that's where your bread and butter is going to be. But then you know that on Android, people are going to run it on their computer anyway. Uh, And iOS allows it to some extent too, if the apps opt in um, on uh, what M1 Max or maybe it's all Max, I'm not sure. And so then if we'll, you can optimize it well for mobile for that play space, depending on the time cost, why not also make a version of that where you just replicate those inputs with a mouse and keyboard or something to capture as wide of an audience as possible. I think you'll see more and more and more of that happening than maybe the other way around. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I totally see... Where you're coming from, Kat, as far as this feeling a little already, even before it has come out, uh, a little dated, and it feels a little like uh, like an idea that's already had its 
peak. Um, but it's interesting to see, you know, if if these kinds of IP can revitalize uh, genres that have already are already on the decline. Um, I, I'm drawn to it just because I love that IP. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. But it, it'll be interesting to see how much more of this Blizzard plans to do. Uh, rumors of of other Warcraft mobile games and other mobile games in general. Uh, clearly, it's a big pie that. Uh, these developers don't want to miss out on these publishers don't want to miss out on so we shall I'm, see i'm curious how that does or does not change with microsoft coming in does it fold into part right. of x cloud in some way and i guess was it last week i was like i'm pretty sure it's going to go through still pretty sure it's going to go through but the update on that since we recorded is now the city of new york is suing activision and bobby um over the acquisition, basically saying that Bobby tanked the company and mishandled all, a lot of these allegations and the share price was down and kind of sold um, to walk away with this nice golden parachute. And New York City is like, you can't do that. And it looks like they're trying to blow up uh, blow up the deal and, and make them face some accountability for everything that happened over there. So I still think this is going to go through, especially with Embracer buying everything else. <laughs> but this Activision Microsoft acquisition is, or other way around, Microsoft acquisition of Activision is not uh, a mouthful. It doesn't seem smooth sailing so far. I think yeah. it's worth pointing out that Warren Buffett has bought up a ton of Activision Blizzard shares. And so he's making a very heavy bet that this deal will ultimately go through. But the FTC has been taking increasing scrutiny of these various deals. Uh, Last week, there was a report of the Bungie deal from Sony being uh, well scrutinized, shall we say. And this is just an example of the much heavier oversight that is happening uh, under the Biden administration and in Democratic strongholds like New York. Very, very interesting stuff. I love having you on, Kat, because you you are so tied into this stuff, and it's great to have your perspective. Thank Uh, you. All right, let us uh, talk about some stuff that we have been playing this week. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace. Oh, you've heard me talk about Squarespace for a long, long time. Why? I use it. I recommend it to my friends and family. It is a great way to have a website online. It is also the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website engage your audience, and sell anything, your products, content you create, and even your time. Squarespace now has so many features that allow you to build a business online, sell your content. They have a a member area uh, that makes it easy for creators to monetize content and monetize your expertise in a way that fits with your brand. And with the members areas, you, you unlock a new revenue stream for your business. And then that allows you to free up time in your schedule by selling access to gated content like videos, online courses, or newsletters. And speaking of videos, there is a video store, uh, excuse me, a video studio that lets you create pro-level videos effortlessly. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story and grow your audience and drive sales. Their online store, it's so simple to sell products in an online store on a website that you build on Squarespace. Whether you sell physical or digital products, it doesn't matter. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling 
online. You've always got your blogging and commenting features. You've got websites that are optimized for mobile right out of the gate. You've got analytics built right in. It's so simple with Squarespace. So check it out. Head over to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. Get yourself a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use offer code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. You'll save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. It's also a great place to buy domains. I just bought a few domains over on Squarespace because it's so simple and they make it so easy for you to find out what's available and they make suggestions of other stuff. Over 200 extensions you can choose from. Again, that is squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. Get yourself that free trial. Use their tools. See why they're so easy and so powerful. And then when you're ready to launch, use the promo code Jeff sent me to save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. All right, let's talk about the games that we have been playing in the playlist. All right. Kat, you have been playing a lot of Elden Ring. Uh, I understand that is what has been dominating your playlist. Tell me about it. I've been playing two games, but I'll start Ooh, with okay. Elden Ring. Um, I've been playing it since it came out, and I I tend to be very busy. So weirdly, I don't always have a lot of time to play video games, but I'm pretty far. I just finished the Royal Capital, which is one of the most stunning environments I've ever seen in a video game ever. It's wow. humongous. It's so well designed. It's this amazing labyrinth. The art design is just flat out incredible. It is a legit mind blowing area. I cannot believe it. And it's all contained within this absolutely enormous open world. And there's a, a real joyfulness to Elden Ring. And look, we've all been sitting here praising Elden Ring for months at this point. But every time I get an opportunity to pick it up and keep pushing along, I'm reminded again of its brilliance but i am playing with a strength and intelligence build and i'm using radon's like double swords uh that allow me to drag people in with their gravity well and then blow them up it's very unfair but (laughs) i really enjoy it i feel very good about myself right now i'm also kind of over leveled so i'm beating people relatively easily but God, what a game. I, I think it's a runaway favorite for game of the year, unless Starfield is something incredibly special. Well, I, I hope that that is the case. Uh, Christian, you, uh, have you gone back to Elden Ring? You plan to go back to Elden Ring? Are you, what's your, I know you loved it. I have, and I do. Um, so yes to both of those things. I am still very much uh, trying to become overleveled. Um, I think the difference, I think I mentioned this before, for me, the difference of Elden Ring versus other Souls games, Souls-like games, is that I'm not bored just exploring and pressing the seams and grinding, whereas in Bloodborne or Sekiro, my other two favorite i'm not a huge you know i'm not the biggest from software fan but those two games i spent a lot of time with especially sekiro i found doing the same areas a more repetitive for some reason than elden ring and i think it's because uh of the corridor-esque approach where i'd know my shortcut i'd know this but then i'd know exactly what was going to happen and even <coughs> in the early stages of elden ring um 
as you explore in the wildlands, you know, to, to borrow from Pokemon, right, you will come across other types of chance encounters. Yes, you're not going to get an enemy from a late part of the game come wandering over to the first, you know, field or something like that. But different encounters, different experiences, and because I can play in that open play space, that when I do have free time, it's easy to go back in and dabble and have fun. Whereas in Sekiro, it was like, well, I got to try to kill this piece of crap. Uh, That's (laughs) all I have to do. And and I can't get past it. Um, I haven't gone back too, too recently because, again, thanks to Paul, a few weeks ago, uh, GT7 has been dominating my PlayStation 5 playtime. But I do plan to go back to Elden Ring more and more and more. I don't plan to ever see credits, though. I just, (laughs) knowing how I'm playing and tinkering and taking this long i doubt i'll ever get there but i i'm still blown away by it i'm making a serious push to try and finish it but i'm going on vacation in a week and a half and i'm like okay this is it time to make the big push uh to get through to the end of this game i love it i love it i love how most folks like use their vacation to finish games you're like i gotta finish it before my vacation (laughs) i'm gonna be traveling so i won't have access to my ps5 there you go Uh uh-huh yeah, I know. There's just too many things coming out all the time that demand time. And I, I yeah, I, I got to. Or hit a little bit of a lull in terms of releases. Uh, it's true. Month. So it's, it's giving true. me and enough the- breathing room. But I, uh, I yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be very focused. And I'm like, I'm going to finish this game. And then I'm going to move on to Tunic. But then I find myself on Sunday morning sitting on the floor like I'm eight again and playing Ninja Gaiden 2 on my Famicom <laughs> going, I like this. This is great. Yeah. Hi. Come on. Fun. Stop getting in the way of finishing games. Fun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's what I've been with, um, with Horizon Forbidden West. I'm just like, I mm. want to finish this before I move on to the other ginormous games. And, but but I want to do everything in that game. And so I find myself spending way too much time on that game. But I, I, it has not gotten old. It's I love so it. pretty, isn't it? Oh, it's it's a beautiful so game. beautiful. So beautiful. And it has so many wonderful story beats. I, mean, I need to do a, a spoiler cast on this one, Christian, when I finally finish it. Because there's so many wonderful story beats. And I'm like, this is exquisite. It's an exquisite bit of storytelling here. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, what is the other game that you've been playing, Kat? Oh, lol. It was Ninja Gaiden 2. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> a game that I've never uh, actually finished in the past, but uh, there was just something really pure about firing it up. Having a cup of coffee sitting next to me, sitting on a pillow, and looking up at my screen, Aww. and being like, wow, okay, got the NES controller in my hand, it just feels right. <laughs> uh, the lack of input delay makes me feel so good. It made me realize, oh yeah, it wasn't just that I was getting old. It was just that the input delay on a lot of these TVs really throws off your timing in a lot of cases. And I've never finished Ninja Gaiden 2. The original Ninja Gaiden on NES is one of my all-time favorite games. But Ninja Gaiden 2, I've never delved into much because it's a little bit different. Um, I always, I would always quit by the spider guy. But I like made a real push this time and I got to like level 4. Um, and I might keep pushing and maybe actually beat it. So while Elden Ring and my girlfriend, Ronnie, are sitting over here, um, I'm like, ah, I'm going to play this, you know, 30-year-old Nintendo game. I love it. I love it. I, I wonder if, if as I, I pulled up some some B-roll of it, um, 
and I, I don't, I never finished Ninja Gaiden two on NES. Um, I'm wondering if it's one of the greatest examples of a genre shift of a franchise where the game was an arcade brawler and it just wasn't that on NES. It was this difficult, you know, side scrolling platform action adventure game and continued that lineage through the, uh, the NES era. And I think game boy had one as well. And then changed again uh, in the black franchise on what 360 era. It's such a fascinating series because I think even the, the Ninja Gaiden black games kind of embodied some of that NES style of gameplay much more so than I'm a ninja who walks upright. Uh, like the brawler version ninjas were like just final fight bros, you know, walking around. Yeah. I loved it in arcades, but a very different uh genre i got bad news for you christian that was not the 360 era that was og xbox ninja got in black yes mm-hmm. maybe sigma was 360 yeah jeff i'm old thank you yeah. for 2004 reminding me. baby 2004 Oof. ninja gaiden well both as great I talked games about, in their own right yeah yes I think the audience knew I was old as I talked about remembering playing Ninja Gaiden on NES when it came out. So thank you for the (laughs) double reminder. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Christian, what is, uh, what is on your play? I know you got your steam deck this week. I'm so jealous. I did. Oh my God. There's the case. Um, Let's start there. I've been playing a bunch. Uh, I've been, I've been playing a whole, 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 whole bunch. And I want to start with the steam deck. Uh, so I talked about it a little bit on paid DLC as I had got it just before we recorded that show. I've had it less than a week so far. Um, I have the middle tier, what was, 256, whatever that is, uh, bundle version of, of it. Um, so having it had it for less than a week and with a couple of major asterisks after what I'm about to say, it's mm, my favorite. One of my favorite, my favorite gaming system of all time. It is a phenomenal piece of hardware that is far better than it needed to be. Um, Again, I talked about this a little bit on paid DLC, but the construction quality of this thing from Valve, who you don't think of as a hardware manufacturer, is top tier across the board. Again, I've had it less than a week, maybe in two months, I'll be like, everything broke, but nothing works. But it is ergonomically designed in a way that, you know, for a company that hadn't made a handheld before, yes, they had made a controller, but not a handheld. The clearly spent time on getting the ergonomics right of this thing. Um, it, it includes every every type of input, you know, a, a responsive touchscreen that's good. It's not like... Uh, Whoops. Oh gosh, I'm forgetting the phone. One of those earlier phones. The Wii U. Like, or the Wii U. Great gaming example. Yeah, not super responsive. Or even the uh, 3DS when it came out was still stylus based after everything else had moved to, you know, fingers and multi touch and, and it refused to. Dual analog that feels great. Double shoulder, four paddle buttons, the haptic touch display. Like it has everything. They're like, what? what kitchen sink control method can we give this thing? And we're going to get it on there. And, you know, we talked about after my love of back paddles on my elite and the attachment on the DualShock um, for PlayStation four, I was hopeful that this current gen of consoles would launch with back paddles. And 
I think Scuff Gaming has some patents on those, so they couldn't do them. But Valve has the buttons, the back buttons that are phenomenal and and feel great. Uh, and again, the customization allowed or available to make this thing play the way you want it to is awesome. But you also don't need to do that. You can just play regular and it kind of loads the profile and you're playing as you would expect. Or you can go into settings very easily and tweak it so that I can have uh, um, my back paddle work as jump in uh, Fortnite or in Apex and free up that, you know, that finger from coming off of the, the analog. So all of that stuff of the device itself absolutely blows me away. As dumb as this might sound, the case is incredible. Uh, it comes with the case, I think, is incredible. Jeff, we mentioned this, how on the back of the case, there's this, you know, elastic little strap thing that perfectly fits the charger, the plug to take it with you that doesn't have it in the case itself. I joked and said that I'd been using it to attach it to my belt loop (laughs) to walk around and be that guy with four phones on my belt and my Steam Deck wherever I go. And while it gets air quote pricey as you move up in tiers, the base version of this thing is $50 more than the Switch OLED? Like... That's mind boggling in terms of what you get in terms of power and capability of a Steam Deck versus the Switch OLED. So that's kind of my broad thoughts of the device itself. Absolutely, absolutely blown away by it. Um, The asterisks are because it is not made by a company, this feels weird to say because it used to be the case, but because it's made by a company that isn't making a bunch of first party games. (laughs) They're not really known for that. You don't have those games that are, you know, written on the metal or whatever that like push the system to its, um, or perfectly extract everything, you know, all of the juice from the system, the way the switch, it was dated when it launched. It's more dated now, but I play Kirby on it and I'm like, this is stunning. This is incredible. What an awesome game. Or I would play The Last of Us 2 on my PlayStation 4 or God of War and think, how does this look better than any game on PC when I have an incredible GPU? Because when you're writing, making games specifically for a console, you can push it in a way. And the Steam Deck doesn't have that, right? It is sold as make playing your Steam library. And it's like a PC. So with that comes all the, well, I can tweak this setting. I'm, I'm going to turn uh foliage down to medium but i want this at high okay but i'm gonna turn this down i'm gonna lock my frames at 30 frames you don't have to do any of that stuff you don't have to but in the back of my mind is uh compatibility or performance with every game right we're like elden ring runs on steam deck but what experience is that versus playing on your pc or versus playing on a console like yes you can just if it has a little green check mark on it it will kind of try to auto-optimize and play. So th- again, these are the asterisks to my heaping of praise for loving this device. It's maybe my favorite gaming device of all time. Um, and because I can tinker, Jeff, I think I've spent as much time tinkering as I did <laughs> playing games on it. I got the Epic Game Store up and running on it. Uh, and then the next thing I did was uh, xCloud and GeForce Now. And it's a f- phenomenal 
device for those cloud gaming experiences because while I have my backbone and I love it and those experiences on my phone, I played a lot of Death's Door that way via GeForce Now. Having it on a dedicated gaming device is even more enticing to me. And now I'm left with this problem of like, oh, I'm going to play Control. Well, I can play Control natively on my Steam Deck and it runs great, 30 frames per second, it looks good. Or I'm somewhere with great Wi-Fi I can play via GeForce Now and have the 3080 tier and play with 60 frames per second with ray tracing and using less battery because I'm streaming. And because of Steam cloud syncing, I can play my native version again when I'm on a train or on a plane and don't have access to that cloud version. And it's that type of stuff that just kind of blows me away at the possibilities of what this device can be. Um, I love it. I'm absolutely blown away by it. Yeah. I, as somebody who's been taking a lot of plane flights lately, I, I, what I love about it is that it it doesn't have to be a streaming device, right? That I can play it when I don't have any internet at all for hours at a time. And I can get that same experience out of it. I haven't done any of the the tinkering that you've been doing. I'm, I'm intrigued by it, but you ran into some hiccups, right? There wasn't, it wasn't all smooth sailing. I did. And it's all a little, I mean, it's not, it's tinkering, right? Like adding the Epic Game Store, there's very clear instructions to follow and you do this, but you you log, log into the console, you have to switch it to desktop version and then type some console commands to get the prompt to do the thing. And I'm not a big Linux, Linux uh, computer user or tinkerer. So I was very much following the instructions. And the first time I tried to get xCloud loaded, it didn't work for some reason. I clearly messed up on something and using the on-screen keyboard to type these long commands that you need to get the thing isn't the way to do it when i finally sat down to do it right i plugged in my USB-C hub and had a keyboard attached so i could actually copy paste and type and navigate a little more smoothly um and so where the steam deck you know if, if you don't want to do any of that and you just want to play games on steam that have the green little check mark, it feels like a console, right? It is unbelievable, seamless. Uh, the update to big picture that runs on Steam Deck, it's flawless. It's where you start pushing at those cracks or at those edges where um, Sifu, which I played a lot of um, via the Epic Game Store, ran great. The only issues I ran into is that the previews of the new moves that you would unlock wouldn't it show it would just show basically like tones and bars screen uh instead of loading that movie the game itself 60 frames per second smooth flawless i was loving that but other games on the epic game store wouldn't run at all and so you're kind of you know it's shots in the dark um whereas on the switch i don't do that right i'm not like you know what yeah. I wonder if this can run the 3ds version of smash Should i mean there the are cartridge a lot of people- there are a lot of people fit. doing that with their switches. It's not unheard of with their switches. But yes, I I totally understand. You feel it feels more like a console console with the switch, right? Where it's like, well, it was made for this, so I can play it with this. But I, and that's kind of how I'm I'm using my Steam Deck. Is I I just am wanting Epic to play nice, and I'm wanting Xbox Game Pass PC to be ported to the Steam Deck. Like I, I'm hoping that those things happen. But in the meantime, it's not like there's a shortage of games on Steam to play. It's not like there's a launch lineup that yeah, that's so limited from the Steam Deck. Uh, and even the stuff that doesn't have green check marks, as you said, there's a variety of reasons you don't get a check mark. One of which can be, oh, the text is too small. 
you know, that's a reason that they won't give a green check mark. So it's not like, oh, it won't work. It won't, you know, it, it errors out or it stutters or anything like that. Sometimes it's literally just, it's a little hard to read. <laughs> yeah. You're playing a desktop game that's optimized for a, at least right. a 23 inch screen or whatever. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's, uh, it might not run next year's AAA games at 30 frames per second, but I think what this device is for me isn't necessarily those games. It's so, all the other games. I agree. Yeah, it's, 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 it's games like, you know, Rogue Legacy 2 and Vampire Survivors and, you know, these games that I love to play can play for, you know, endless amounts of time. <laughs> all right, so yeah. what have you been playing on it or what have you been playing in general? Yeah, so uh, I talked. I talk about Sifu a little bit more. Um, I bought Sifu now that the patch came out that introduced an easy mode. I am a huge or student, I think is what they call it. I am a huge proponent of easy mode and of accessibility options and uh, allowing you to tweak it. I have a newsletter, uh, Let's Chat Games, and this next one is going to be just about that, about easy mode and the idea of accessibility options and and how they can make games better. And I've been playing Sifu uh, almost exclusively on my Steam Deck. Um, but, Jeff, you were right. I love the game. I also love the game in student mode. I don't know if I'd have the patience for it in um, Master or whatever it's called. Um, because comparing its combat to Arkham or something like that, it feels a little more memorization based perhaps, especially some of the boss fights and encounters where Batman, the Arkham games, even on higher difficulties felt a little more improvisational. And it might be just where I am with Sifu so far in terms of my unlocks, but I feel like I'm playing those bosses almost a little more to how I'd play a souls boss where the first time I go in, I'm just like, I'm going to get wrecked, but let's see what this boss can do. Um, and then I figure out those patterns and I kind of learn how to move around them. Um, but playing on student makes it more forgiving. (laughs) So I'm not stuck trying to pull off these certain moves over and over and over again. And I'm able to just experience the game because I think what Sifu does so well is that atmosphere and environment and making you feel like you're in atomic blonde or John wick or any of these awesome action games um and it nails that aesthetic so if any listeners are like me and have waited on sifu i highly recommend diving back in or or checking it out now that it has this uh student mode which changes the difficulty and the aggressiveness of the ai and is also more forgiving in how you age each time you die cool phenomenal anything else uh, there is. Let's see what else I want to talk about. Uh, I will talk about <laughs> two more games and then maybe one we have in common, Jeff, we can we can talk about as well. I will talk a little bit about Vampire Survivors, which uh, maybe you've heard about on this show. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you've played it. Jeff, I don't know if you've checked out. I'm obsessed out. with it. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> Although I, it, it, Rogue Legacy 2 broke my Vampire Survivors obsession. Ram, Vamp, yeah. uh, Rogue Legacy 2 has become my go-to Steam Deck game now that and Vampire Survivors is like, hey, I just had a big update, bro. Come back. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I can't. Rogue Legacy <laughs> 2 is the perfect Steam Deck game. The perfect Steam Deck game. The perfect Steam Deck game. Yes. As is Vampire Survivors. Uh, <laughs> I 
I literally held off on spending my hard-earned three dollars on it until my Steam Deck arrived because I think it's such a great portable game and the sleep mode. That's another thing about Steam Deck introducing sleep mode to PC games, something that I think a lot of us console players have gotten used to in this current gen, but PC games don't really have it. I guess you could play in window mode and pause and kind of walk away, but the ability to just, oh, kids coming in, oh, phone call, boop, put system down, walk away, love it. Um, I'm shocked that there's not a mobile version of Vampire Survivors. I'm shocked there's not a Switch version of Vampire Survivors. Like that stuff has to be, in the works, right? It, it seems like I it think was... it's just one person making that game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that could be part of it. <laughs> if it's, it's, ex- yeah. it's exquisite. It, it, it sneaks up on you in terms of, Oh, I only have a few minutes. I'll, I'll, I can squeeze in vampire survivor. And I think what do you say, Jeff, your, you know, cumulative hour play time, yeah. um, was very high and I see how it gets there. So yeah. I'm not going to, you know, dive into the nitty gritty of vampire survivors. If you haven't, Go look through the RSS and see other times it's mentioned. Jeff uh, explains all of it very well, but I will echo his comments that it is a phenomenal game. It screams pick up and play, and then it grabs onto your throat <laughs> and <it> keeps <laughs> you playing longer than you're going to. And then the other game I'll talk about uh, that I also played on my Steam Deck, but via uh, xCloud, because I didn't want to pay for it when I was already paying for it is a uh, loot river loot river was a day one on game pass also playable um via x cloud and it was described as like a diablo meets tetris which i was very much intrigued by that style uh that description of of, of game i don't think it lives up to that shortcut shorthand description unfortunately which i realize is maybe my own fault for assuming it would live up to two of the best games in their genres ever created um loot river has beautiful pixel art and it is a rogue type um where you're dying and on getting some perma unlocks and progressing forward and the way it is structured that makes it somewhat unique is that you are on you're in this river uh often on these floating platforms that you have to move and push forward in a way that requires a little bit of a puzzle mechanic to make the pieces fit like those old Um, little those old things that my grandma used to give me there's a picture and you slide it and you slide the little tiles and you make you perform the picture correctly there's like one yes. tile missing. Yeah. It's like all that, right? Yes. Yes. And granted, I haven't played probably more than 90 minutes, maybe two hours of Loot River, but the puzzle mechanic never felt like the star of the show. It felt like a thing I would cheese to just zip away from enemies and zip back mm-hmm. to enemies, zip away from enemies, zip back to enemies, and never allowed for complex puzzle solving to get the pieces to fit to move forward. Um, and I found the combat not to be, it's a crowded market all of a sudden, right? For yeah. gorgeous pixel art rogue type games. I found it wasn't doing enough to pull me away from, um, the other games I was already playing, but it is on game pass. And if you are intrigued by that or need a new rogue type to play, 
um, I think it's worth checking out. Just maybe don't go in with the level of expectations that I had <laughs> when I went into it. It's a bummer. It looks like my jam, this game. I haven't tried it yet. And it's on Game Pass, so there's no reason for me not to. But uh, I'm I'm bummed to hear you uh, say it, it didn't quite live up. And also on, on Steam, it looks like it has mixed reviews, uh, the designation mixed. So a lot of folks agreeing yeah. with you. It's, it's a bummer. It looks very much like my jam, this game. So. I think there's a lot there. There's also just Hades, Rogue yeah. Legacy 2, uh, Dead Cells, sure. uh, Hollow Knight, which isn't a rogue type per se, but like yeah. Salt and Sanctuary, I think is is now, there's a lot. It's a crowded, crowded space. It is. Well, uh, the game that I have been playing most this week uh, is a new release also on Game Pass. Um, I got it um, on Steam and I've been playing it on PC. It's called Trek to Yomi. Uh, made me think of you, Christian, uh, as soon as I started playing it, this because uh, of how much you loved playing Ghost of Tsushima in the uh, Kurosawa mode. This game doesn't have a mode that's not the Kurosawa <laughs> mode. It's all Kurosawa all the time, which as far as I'm concerned, thumbs up. Um, I'm a fan of those movies. And this uh, Trek to Yomi creates a mood. It is a mood. I mean, if you have seen Seven Samurai or any of the other great Akira Kurosawa movies, um, you will be right at home in this. It is black and white. It is uh, gorgeous as far as creating this samurai movie feel. Uh, It has sort of film grain look to it. It's all smoke and wind and trees and, uh, you know, feudal Japan. It is absolutely beautiful as far as I'm concerned. Tonally exquisite. And it's kind of a throwback to an old type of game. In fact, we've talked a lot about uh, the fact that Ubisoft has talked about doing a 2D Prince of Persia, like the old original Prince of Persia. Trek to Yomi is Prince of Persia. It's the original like Amiga Prince of Persia. That's what Trek to Yomi plays like. It's a modern version of of that old game and the sword combat about as complex as, uh, as, <laughs> as the old uh, Prince of Persia games. Yes. There are combos that you unlock. Uh, and yes, there's a level of complexity that is layered on as you progress through Trek to Yomi, but you don't ever need to use it because uh, there are very few moves that can be absolutely successful in this game. Um, so I would say the combat, not, it's not Sifu, you know, it's not, yes. uh, it's not an, a souls like it is, it, it is a game where you can be killed in a couple of hits or, you know, you have life bar and it's very generous in giving you back that life, but it's a resource that you use the life bar, uh, and you can be killed very quickly. And all of the enemies can be killed very quickly, pretty much. Um, so, I mean, it, it sells that notion of being a samurai where you, a, a couple of slices from a, samurai sword is going to end someone um so that feels tonally consistent and appropriate but i don't think the combat system is what you go to this game for at least for me maybe christian you would disagree but i i never felt like oh there's a joy in the combat i didn't dislike the combat per se but you definitely or at least i definitely kept coming back to this game for the feeling of the game the mood the tone the expression the aesthetic it 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 really is stunning i mean it, it it is very much a revenge story i don't think the story even though there's kind of a twist late in the game 
I don't think the story is it, it lights the house on fire. What lights the house on fire is the fact that the houses are lit on fire in this game. <laughs> I say the, 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 the enemies that storm your village are like the house. You'd say this game is lit, huh? <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, I mean, I, Christian, I don't know what you feel, but I, I think this, as a Game Pass game, is like a perfect Game Pass game because I'd have a hard time recommending people run out and buy it with other great, great, great games out there. But it's a game that because I didn't have to buy it, it kind of sucked me in. I kept playing it, uh, even though I, I felt like, well, this game has flaws, but man, I do want to see the next screen. I do want to see the next tableau that uh, they're going to show me because it's so exquisite. Yeah, I think I went into it with too high of expectations. Maybe that's the running theme for me with this and Loot, Rev- Loot River. I remember we talked about this when it was shown at, what, an ID at Xbox, I think, preview first, or maybe it was a, a PlayStation Indies. Um and as you mentioned, I loved Ghost of Tsushima. I played all of it in Kurosawa mode. I thought it was beautiful and phenomenal like that. And the combat in Trek to Yomi has left me wanting. And I, I hadn't thought about that OG Prince of Persia analogy before, Jeff. I think it gets close, but I think that those games had a puzzle element that those game that game had a puzzle element to exploring the map that Trek to Yomi doesn't have, at least to what I've played. There are parts where you can kind of explore and, and find side objects and this, that, and the other. But Prince of Persia, that OG, OG Prince of Persia, it was like, how do I open this yeah, door? Yeah, flipping switches and doubling back and, and finding out what door it opened. Yeah, you're right. It does not have that then, per se, but there, there's a puzzle element com- that comes toward the end, but it's a pretty weak puzzle element. It's literally just like object recognition. It's like, hey, which three objects, which three symbols is it? So hmm. uh, there, it adds a bit of that, but it's it's not particularly... Uh, captivating but it is it is interesting that we have multiple games now that are trying to capture the spirit of the old kurosawa films yeah yeah and and do so really well it's amazing that we've gotten to the point with art direction video games where you can basically feel like you're playing a a classic movie i mean that's that in and of itself is pretty extraordinary yeah or in the case of a classic cartoon yes yes exactly yeah Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I remember, quick side note, Christian, before you go on. Oh, go ahead. I remember um, I I saved up money and bought a 3DO. And this is dating me. I'm old. But I bought, money, a three, I bought a 3DO. And, it, you know, it was one of the very first, uh, alongside Sega CD, it was one of the first CD-based uh, systems. And it came with a disc that had the Batman the Animated Series on it. And I remember, I've told this story many times. Forgive me, listeners, if you've heard it before, but I remember putting that disc in my 3DO and going, someday video games are going to look like this, you know? And we're there, we're there. It's like, it's if you want your video game to look like Batman, the animated series or any animated movie or any animated TV, you know, any old classic movie, it, we were like, we've, we're there. It's pretty, pretty cool. But Jeff, didn't you well, play Dragon Slayer in the arcade? That we too, the yes, 80s. of course. Yes, of course. But, you know. <laughs> I wanted it to feel like playing Cuphead, where it's not just like left or right. It's not a, a canned animations. It felt like I'm I was controlling actually doing it. it. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. I, I mean, to that end, uh, to continue this tangent, because I don't need, we, we've covered, I think, Trek Diomi sufficiently for, for, for uh, my two cents, at least for sure. But to that end about the games now and having that aesthetic and, you know, the way they look today, it's something that I step back and look at and it kind of blows my mind each time to think that the best video games i've ever played in my lifetime 
are often my kids first. Yeah. And and it's just like the Steam Deck is a modern marvel. It allows this look at this game. Look at this. Come, come, you have to play this Matrix demo. This isn't oh my yeah. no, that's you don't the, understand. That's the Everything's minimum. destructible. Yeah, that's the minimum of what they expect now. That's the that's their starting point. That's the minimum of what is expected. Kids these days, I swear. Yeah, kids. Just don't you understand. Know, but also, the old stuff hasn't gone away. And and I feel like they're able to dabble. And it's just, I think similar for movies where like uh like the Mary Tyler Moore show stands uh, the test of time and you can always go back to it. And because it's easily accessible or like friends and like target sells friends merch, because everybody's going back to friends because it's has a timeless appeal to it. Um, and I think because of that games have kind of become that too, as new games have old aesthetic and are kind of doing this and doing that where well, you can also just play the old game, but you might think that it's just a new game doing a retro art direction like games folding in on themselves in terms of what they can be for people coming to the medium now. Anyway, that's my uh, mind blown moment. Maybe yeah. I should. <laughs> yeah, it's good. All right. Uh, I want to get to a couple of segments because I know that Kat has some interesting things to talk about. So let's check out a little bit VR talk. So, Kat, I'm. I understand that you just picked up a Meta Quest Two. What is your experience? What, first of all, what prompted the uh, the acquisition, and uh, what do you think of it? I've had an Index for a minute now, um, and mostly I played Star Wars Squadrons on it. Mm, Highly recommend. Pick. Amazing yeah. VR experience. But uh, we were having some trouble because we were like, okay, we need to plug this thing into a TV or in, into an actual desktop PC that's powerful enough to support it. And where are we going to output it to? It felt a little unwieldy. And so finally, I just threw up my hands and I was like, look, I just want an easy to use standalone headset. So I went out and I bought a MetaQuest 2 because they're relatively affordable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, only like $300 or something like that. So I got it all set up and everything. And it's been a really amazing experience. I can't believe how far VR has come in the past oh, six years at this point. Yeah. And I love that it's standalone. And even just putting on the headset and leaning back and you're kind of like looking around, you're like, oh, I'm in like this waterfall cavern. It makes me think of um, a moment from the show, very, very good show, The Good Place, mm-hmm. where two of the main characters are sitting on a couch looking out on this gorgeous waterfall kind of thing and i have a thing for sitting on balconies and scenic views and all that so i was just kind of enjoying the vibes of the sitting area and everything that comprises the i guess the hub yeah and it's really cool to have the uh the menu pop up and everything and browse through and i just wanted to try out all of these various games but as usual I've been drawn in to rhythm games because I think that rhythm games just sing on VR headsets like the MetaQuest 2. And so I was playing Beat Saber, having an amazing time with Beat Saber. That game is just pure vibes. You're just kind of getting into it and everything. You feel so good when you're swinging the lightsabers yeah. at the uh, individual beats and everything. Uh, I was playing Tetris Effect. Oh my gosh, that game is just something else. When you're playing in VR, uh, it being able to live inside those rhythms and inside those beats and 
properly appreciate the visuals. I, I feel like you can't properly appreciate the visuals unless you're playing that game in VR. Um, I got the the Vader game, mm, um, and yeah. I actually kind of want to try it out. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity to play a whole bunch of it, and I picked up Res because come on, Res. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious if y'all have uh, some other recommendations for me. Uh, oh, so many, so many. Um, I got Moss. Moss, yes, Moss, and yeah, hopefully Moss too soon. Um, but yes, Moss is is fantastic. Uh, Super hot is always a great recommendation. Mm. One one that I recommend, uh, very much not a rhythm game, very very much a slow, more pensive kind of game, but I think a phenomenal experience is called A Fisherman's Tale, and it's a puzzle game where you're sort of inside uh, a diorama of a world, but. Also, that world exists outside the diorama. It's kind of hard to explain, but you affect something uh, on a small scale and it affects it on the big scale at the same time. So you're doing all these puzzles. It's really, really cool and clever. That's really neat. Yeah. I think the thing that I really like about VR is um, my mind is kind of always buzzing all the time. And it's very easy for me to get extremely distracted when I'm playing a game on a classic PC or my TV or something. I'll be like checking my phone and whatnot. But when I put on that headset, I am focused in a way that I'm often not that focused. And it's kind of a remarkable experience, actually. It's very meditative. Yeah, I agree. I love it. I, and, and especially with a game like uh, Tetris Effect, where it, it really does feel like a meditation. It feels, I, I come out of playing Tetris Effect. A lot of times, I'll, if I play Tetris, I get tense, you know, but Tetris yeah. Effect like takes a tense game and makes it feel zen and 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 healing almost you know i come out of the headset feeling like oh i just took a nap or i feel refreshed yeah you want to Did talk you, about vibes you, i think that is a definite case of vibes um i it's taken me a while for me to get on the vr hype train because uh you know the the technology is still maturing in so many ways and designers are kind of getting to grips with the possibilities afforded by vr in many ways it feels like the very earliest days of 3d where they were learning basic things like how do you control a camera though? Yeah. <laughs> what does camera, what does combat look like in a 3d space? And I think the same goes for VR. Um, in some ways, I think beat saber is the current killer app, Definitely. but I'm in some ways still waiting for that game that is truly sells everybody on VR. And I don't think it's that far away, honestly. I agree. I mean, if you haven't played Half-Life Alex, mm. I think that 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 did it for me. I mean, I was there already, but you know, more. But uh yeah, and, and I and I think hopefully with the PSVR2 we'll see more uh, you know, more uh, entries into that into that list of games of hey, this really shows why it's special. I I also, you know, if you haven't had a chance to play like a third person, you know, like a Astrobot in it, um I highly recommend that too. I mean, you can't play it on MetaQuest, but um, those, those kinds of experiences I think are undervalued by people because the, the the presence and the first person in the hand, you know, motion controls and all that stuff are so effective. I, I think people, I, I hope developers do more third person games in VR. Yeah, that are I agree. Honestly, just um, a game like Moss, I think really mm-hmm. sings because of, you feel like you're living, you're describing it as a, a diorama and everything. And yeah. it's, it's a unique experience. 
it makes games feel really fresh in a way that they don't always feel that fresh to me. Cause in some ways, you know, I've been playing games since the NES era, right? So I've watched them evolve and everything. And it takes a lot for a game to surprise me. And I feel like I'm surprised and delighted a lot in VR. Yeah. 11 table tennis. Ooh. Probably the best sport game in VR, in my opinion. Walk around golf, also fantastic. And then uh, Pistol Whip, which mm, is very yeah. similar to Beat Saber, but with guns. And then also released two years ago now, Jeff, um, more of a single player free DLC campaign. That's phenomenal. Otherwise, you like shoot on posters and you kind of play like each one has a theme that's like a different style action movie and you're forced moving forward instead of beat saber with the the blocks coming to you you're automatically moving down a corridor and then it's kind of like a light gun game with people popping out but you're able to like not quite hook your bullets but and then like bash people with the butt of your gun when they get close and it very much has the beat saber aesthetic and like pulsing vibes um where that game supplanted beat saber for me for a good chunk of time until i kind of mastered each level it's very well done pistol whip awesome hooray for vr uh i love it i love uh, folks jumping on that hype train with me i appreciate it all right uh one more quick segment because i I just want to hear about this so let's let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time right now right now Cats, I understand that you have been playing some D and D, and I wanted to hear your uh, your your take on it. This is where I get to plug my podcast a little bit. Um, yes, I, I'm the host of Axe of the Blood God, a uh, RPG podcast. But we've never really played tabletop games. We've usually focused on classic PC RPGs and JRPGs. But our our community has been pushing us for a long time to play a tabletop games. So finally, we sat down. We're like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do a one shot. It's going to be fun. We got uh, a DM, a very experienced DM in Shivam Bhatt, who also uh, hosts. He's also really into magic and everything. And he works with Wizards of the Coast and whatnot. He put together an incredible campaign. And last Saturday, uh, we went out and we played live on Twitch, uh, D&D, for several hours. And we had a blast. I was playing as a paladin named uh, Kara the Wanderer. But she was haunted. <laughs> oh yeah. She, um, yeah. And we also had a a dragonborn that had uh these little ball a dragonborn ranger that had these little balls that were like pokeballs, and you you threw them, little animals would pop out. And at one point, this badger jumped out, and it was a whole dang thing. It was very chaotic. Um, and then we had a tiefling warlock who was somewhat at odds with my um, who was being tormented by pixies, and so just random stuff would be happening, like. You know, Groucho Marx's uh, mustache and glasses would pop up on this character at random, and they'd be like, uh, and they would have to be reacting to that. And so we were kind of a, we were a bit of a motley crew trying to find the axe of the blood god, the sacred artifact that can slay gods. And we went on a big uh, dungeon crawl, and things got kind of dicey at various points. We we're a little bit clumsy. <laughs> we had some bad roles, so we were crashing around, attracting the attention of various orcs and ogres. And well, if you want to listen to it, we'll have the archived audio uh, going up this a little bit later this week. 
uh, for all of our listeners, including on the free feed. Uh, so you can see how it all goes. Sadly, tragically, we uh, the VOD did not save, so we don't have that oh, no! available for people oh, no! to watch, which is heartbreaking to me yeah. because I feel like this is something you is really great to watch. Definitely. Yeah, you're going to see those facial expressions when people ro- roll poorly. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we got a bunch of ones. Yeah. Um, so uh, things are happening. Do y'all play D&D? Oh, yes. I did. Uh, I DM'd a D&D show for three years. That I just completed, nice. actually, a few weeks ago. Uh, so uh, big, big, big fan of D&D. Um, yeah, what? D&D uh, has been picking up steam in my household lately. So I expect that we're probably going to get an adventure going just over here. Um, at least two people who live in my household are super into a crit roll these days. So yeah, lots of interest in D&D. <laughs> One thing that always I found interesting about D&D versus uh, video game RPGs, and, and maybe this is just me and my bias, but I've always been more accepting of rolling a one, even playing with like a virtual uh, die as you're playing remotely with people and being like, ah, oh, unlucky roll and like letting that happen versus Mass Effect and I shoot and it's like one damage and I'm like, that is crap. I hit him in the head with my power up gun. And it's like, well, the behind the scenes role or like dragon age, it's like you missed. And I'm like, I did not miss my sword went through. And I think it's because in the video game. Now the newer versions, you have the visual representation of the thing. And I see the strike happen, but then the number tells me like the strike didn't happen. Well, (laughs) and tabletop campaigns like the, you know, a DM is like, and you miss. And I'm like, oh, okay. I accept that I rolled a one. <laughs> well, in the, in D and D, you know, it's, it's a shared storytelling situation. So uh, the, oftentimes the most memorable stuff happens when you roll the worst, right? Because it gives this, the DM an opportunity to make something fun or silly or memorable happen because something wildly bad, just uh, <laughs> the dice just dictated. Um, yeah. So Half the fun is when something goes horribly wrong. Yes, yes. They, yeah, I, and I don't. I, I don't know if video games capture that yet in the same I way. I don't think they do. Uh, although you know, um, I, I think there are there are ways where you know when things go bad in a in a video game fight or in a in a in a real time battle or something, it can be very memorable as well. You know, you're down to one health and then you're, you're at this last second. But yeah, Far yeah, Cry has some great when I was playing SimCity play. 2000 back in the day. <laughs> and I had a big city and a fire started and I accidentally saved when the fire was going. Oh no, it's the worst. And it became the great fire of Catsville <laughs> and literally half my city burned down and I was frantically like getting fire departments all over the place. And once it was finally out and I surveyed the ruins, it was demoralizing, but also I got a chance to rebuild. And I still think back on that often of like that moment of destruction and then rebirth yeah. in a video game. And yeah. if I hadn't, if I had just been able to reload, I would never have thought about that again. But it was a, a moment. That's right. We learn That's more from example. failure, you know? We yeah. learn more from bad things happening than we do from it all being easy and good. Uh, but I totally feel you on that. I, I that's that thing in, in the open world game where you're running around because things are going bad, and then you accidentally trigger a checkpoint. And you're like, no, no, <laughs> no checkpoint. <laughs> yeah, horrible. I've had that happen to me more than once in like a Fallout game. Yeah, where you're like, that's okay. I'll just reload the auto. 
oh god oh god this is literally two seconds before the encounter that murdered me and i can't escape what am i gonna yes, do exactly that's why i love games that have like three layers of autosave you know where they do an autosave and it doesn't overwrite the last autosave it's just like three versions of it ah, i love those games um all right well that was fun uh, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Kat Bailey, it has been such a joy having you back on the show. The last time you were on, by the way, I didn't mention this at the beginning, 2018. So wow. that was the before times. Uh, we, time flies. Oh, time flies, that is for sure. Uh, hopefully we'll get you on uh, more uh, more frequently than that, but it's always awesome to talk to you. Tell folks where they can check out you and all the things that you do online. Thanks so much, Jeff. Yeah, so my day job is I'm a senior editor over at IGN. I'm the co-host of Nintendo Voice Chat. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. And in the evenings, I podcast with Acts of the Blood God, which is my RPG podcast where I get even nerdier than I usually am. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod with a lot of exclusive content if you like the show enough and you want to support us. Very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Hopefully finishing up uh, the latest installment of my newsletter, which is Let's Chat Games. You can subscribe to it for free at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer, where I am writing about, air quote, easy mode. Um, That'll be coming out as soon as it's done. Uh, I think this week, that's the plan. I'm, I'm making good progress on it. And then once it's complete, I will start on the video version of the newsletter which will be posted on uh, our dlc's patreon which is uh, patreon.com slash dlc pod that's a fun little bonus i've done one so far video version of the newsletter got great feedback so i'm going to continue to tweak those and work on that um so you can look for that several days after the regular newsletter goes out because uh making and editing videos is uh time consuming <laughs> more so than writing which is also time consuming um and then twitter is the best way to see other things that are happening during the week that is at spicer s-p-i-c-e-r and if you want the video version of this show the vod which hopefully is saved as i say it it looks like it's saved it looks like it's happening um those are also available over at the dlc patreon where you can find all of the video versions of the shows we've done since uh the patreon became a thing and people seem to like them so check them out absolutely um you can follow me on twitter i'm at jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t i've got a bunch of other shows for you to check out including a comedy science show called we have concerns find that at wehaveconcerns.com you can learn some science and laugh along the way it's pretty fun anthony carboni and i do that show i also do the film cast talking about movies and tv shows uh you can find that uh wherever you get podcasts by searching for the film cast we're going to be talking Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness this week, as everybody is. Uh, but and the uh, 2015 version of me riding a, a train, that's in it. I have too, so right? many mm-hmm. thoughts in that movie. Uh, <laughs> positive or negative? Thumbs up, thumbs oh, down. Oh, positive. Yeah, I'm, yeah. On, I'm, I'm pro Multiverse of Madness. So good. So good. So much fun. Um, and I do... Wait. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I'm sorry. What? I just love the sentence, Kat. I'm pro multiverse of madness. <laughs> I prefer multiverse of kindness, multiverse of joy. But uh... and go see everything everywhere all at once, Christian. There's oh, two oh, multiverses okay. out right now. One of them madness, the other kindness and joy. I recommend both movies. Yeah. 
They're all I recommend both mad both. in their own way. <laughs> they are indeed. <laughs> Wholesomely mad. <laughs> well played. Well played. Uh Anyway, um, you can uh, you follow me on Twitter. You can tell those shows. I also do sports casting. What? This guy? Ooh. Yes, it's true. Don't know how it happened. It's amazing. Fan-controlled football uh, is a professional sports league that's also a video game in a way. It's like Madden in real life. You're calling plays. The fans are calling the plays in real time. Elite athletes like Terrell Owens and Kelly Bryant and... It's an incredible lineup of incredible athletes are running the plays in real time competing. Uh, and I'm a uh, sports I'm in the broadcast booth doing that. So you can hear me talk on Saturdays when the games go live at 1 PM Pacific time. But I also do the fan controlled show, which is uh, the official podcast of fan control football. Uh, we're doing those on Fridays. Now, both of them can be found at twitch.tv slash F C F for fan controlled football. All right, let us wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting gift. Kat, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Uh, can I recommend the NHL playoffs, which are a good and fun way to pass the time? Um, 100%. Perhaps you can root for my my hockey team, the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. I love it. Uh in all, in all seriousness, hockey's a lot of fun. It's especially this time, the playoffs are the, the the best part. It's like everything is on double speed. Everybody's hitting that much harder. The goals are incredible. Yeah, I love the NHL playoffs. Yeah, and it looks like the uh Colorado Avalanche are I, I don't follow hockey oh at all. Oh boy, the Colorado Avalanche. Hmm, I don't know about that. No, they're not in the playoffs. Are they not in the playoffs? Oh no, they're in the playoffs. They're just not doing well in the playoffs. Rivals. Oh, so. okay. Yes. Sorry, but they uh, they are a very good hockey team. Not going to deny it. They're they're definitely a favorite to win it all. So oh, we yeah. shall see. I'm, I'm going to jump That's on that bandwagon, year, Jeff. Yeah, just like hockey. Hockey. <laughs> well, I turned it on. I was on the plane, and the uh, the uh, the airline had uh, live TV, and I turned it on. And it was six to two avalanche. I was like, that seems good mm. for hockey. Uh, they're doing a very good hockey right now. They're doing a hockey. Yeah. <laughs> I, if you I, don't like sports, can I recommend Strange New Worlds, the new Star Trek show, which uh, by all accounts is much more Star Trek than uh, previous shows uh, have been. It captures the flavor of it more so. And it's about the adventures of Captain Christopher Pike the captain of the enterprise before captain Kirk and Spock's there and number one. And yeah, um, it's much more of an anthology show than a show like Picard or things like that. So even though there's an overarching storyline, so by all accounts, amazing show. And so you should check it out. And that's on Paramount plus uh, Star Trek, strange new worlds. Support good Star Trek people. Support good Star Trek. Yes, it's been, it, it, they're few and far between, it seems. Uh, yes, good Star Trek. Uh, Christian Spicer, do you have a parting gift? I will keep it sport themed. Uh, we've been go. we've went, went to the first two uh, Angel City Football Club games here in Los Angeles. They're the new expansion team oh, of the yeah. NWSL. Um, we are season ticket holders. And so I have not been to games in other cities. I've, as I'm wearing my uh, four, four star uh, world cup champs hat for the national team, uh, today. Um, 
I have not been to NWSL games in other cities, so I cannot speak to them. I have watched them before on on TV. Um, but if the experience here in Los Angeles is anything like the experience in any other city, if you have a team, you need to go to a game. Or if you're in LA and there is a game, you need to go to a game. These Angel City games have been absolutely phenomenal. The feeling in the stadium, the experience of the fans, the of course the the level of play on field, um, and just the production quality. I think the production quality of live sport is such a big part of it. And it always made me sad when you had new teams or new leagues or expansions and they hadn't quite figured out that branding side of things yet or how to make that on in stadium experience uh, everything it can be. And Angel City for the NWSL has done that and then some. A story that wasn't that is when I lived in Houston, we went to uh, our friends had Houston Texans season tickets for that inaugural season where uh, Derek Carr, I believe, was the quarterback who got sacked more than any other quarterback had ever been sacked in a single season. And they were bad. They were a bad expansion team. People were still bitter that the Oilers, now Titans, left. So it wasn't a very full stadium, especially quickly into the season. Maybe this was year two, I forget. But they tried to build that fan experience of like, because it was like this Reliant Stadium or whatever it was called at the time. I don't know what it's called now. Uh, but like one of those first air quote modern stadiums of like the luxury suites in the middle and this, that, and the other, but empty stadiums, (laughs) empty stadiums, uh, the Texans just getting trounced, but they would get like a first down during garbage time in the stadium. And I believe I, I quit following the NFL, but I believe a rule came out of what the Texans and Reliant stadium did, but they'd get a first down in garbage time and they'd do like the big PA and they'd be like, that's another Texans first down. And then they'd pipe in crowd noise cheering (laughs) and you'd look and you'd be like, the 20 of us here ain't clapping, (laughs) but have this thundering thing. The announcer goes, please clap. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. To take it back to the beginning. And I think the NFL has a rule about what they can pipe in or pipe out. All that to be said, NWSL is putting an amazing, um, game on the field and i'm absolutely in love with angel city uh and what they've done here so far so check out your team in your area and give it a watch maybe you'll love it too very cool um my parting gift is food related uh i made some monkey bread yeah as you may know as you may recall ladies and gentlemen here in the united states it was mother's day this weekend uh so why this show came out a little late because we uh celebrated mother's day Christian and I both uh, married with kids and our wives uh, um, as mothers uh, got, got the whole night uh, with us there. And uh, one of the things I did that morning, uh, Sunday morning, was I got up and made monkey bread. Have either of you had monkey bread? Do you know monkey bread? I have. I do. So yeah. good. Big fan. So a while back, I attempted to buy the, I guess, Pillsbury kind of uh, ready-made monkey bread. Do not waste your time. It is not good. Uh, so trash. I, yeah, it, it's straight trash. Very well put. Uh, it is, uh, it can't even call itself monkey bread. I could not believe how garbage the ready-made monkey bread is. But come to find out, very easy to make actual monkey bread. It is very, very simple. Uh, you, you know, you can still get the, the ready-made biscuits. You don't have to make biscuits from scratch. Make the biscuits, cut them up, uh, put them in, in, in a bunt cake, 
and then you pour uh, just a just an obscene amount of butter and sugar on them, and <laughs> and uh, we made the monkey bread. Highly recommend it, ladies and gentlemen. If you have not tried, I'm not much of a baker, and it's not really baking. It's it's very simple to have a treat that will delight and dazzle your family. So get yourself a good uh, monkey bread recipe and give it a shot. I recommend it. All right, we have a listener suggested parting gift as well. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from Aaron. Aaron writes, I've uh, been meaning to write this one for ages. You have to watch The Rescue on Disney+. Plus. It's a Nat Geo documentary about the Thai boys soccer team that was trapped in a cave in 2018. I went into it expecting it to be a bit dry, possibly, with it mostly being a studio retelling of events. But actually, they have tons of footage from the event itself. And a, the small amount they recreated after the fact is woven in so well, that you can't even tell. It's incredibly compelling and intense. It's about true humanity and will both bring you to tears and cheer you up. It helped me understand what a gargantuan feat of engineering, grit, and spirit this rescue really was. If you haven't seen it already, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you, Aaron. Again, that's called The Rescue, and it's on Disney+. Plus. That's where Elon sent the thing and saved everybody, right? The robot, Elon yes. Pro- yeah, Elon the robot. promised something, and it was true and accurate and exactly as promised. Thank you, Elon. Delivered. Thank you, Elon. Thank you, Elon. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on our show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Kat Bailey and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those great bumpers. Thanks to our theme song creators, White Cube, Jason Sherry, and T. Ryan Arnold for making that. Oh, and we also have to thank our Hype Train patrons. Time to thank some patrons. Thank Chris McCubbin, John Sisko, Matt Valdez, Relentless Rex, Michael S., Andy Joyce, Kyle Star, Anthony Gulas, Riley Knox, Rob Rickman, Dan Flanagan, Sasan, Hank Patton, Adam Denby, Cheesy Bob, Scooby Diesel, Victor Valenzuela, Jonathan Talbert, Chris Zacharias. Matt Bradley, Jeff Luxack, Will with 1L Harris, Mitchell Ness, Jonathan Putney, Jimmy Radcliffe, Mark Gowland, Malcolm King, Dan Palmino, Neil Shaw, Ben, Scott Hughes, Jenny, Nate, Kevin Brazel, Stu Goss, Jonathan Spiceman Forever Schlepfer, Zachary White, Yick, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Podcast, Soren Silk, Spiceman Silencer, Mike Lombardo, Travis, Jackson, Michael Buck, Michael Stadler, Slag the Watasha Mahenny, Nick Strauss Klein, Peter Olberg, Josh Peak, Jad. Christian Bravery, Taylor Wigert, Octavian 
Let's see you. Clifton Satterfield and Jason Novak. Thanks to all of our hype train patrons. You make this show possible and we're indebted to you. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.